You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Those famous words were spoken by Hamlet in Act 2, Scene 2 of the play, Hamlet, written by William Shakespeare. In today's rapidly changing world, many things that were considered bad are now considered good and vice versa. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a passionate believer in something that was once considered very bad, is now accepted by many, but still on trial for many others. She is a doctor, an MD with a background in emergency medicine. She holds medical degrees from Turo University College of Osteopathic Medicine and Northwestern University. She is known as the medical marijuana expert. I'm excited and honored to introduce Dr. Rechna Patel to our show. Rechna Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, you did. Wonderful. So I would love to know, did you dream of becoming a doctor when you were growing up? You know, here's what I dreamt of. I've, I dreamt, I grew up in Jersey City. Now at that time, I don't know, you're from the East Coast, so... I don't know if you knew what Jersey City was, was like back in the 80s, but, um, and it was the same of New York, but, you know, crime-ridden. Um, it was, it was a, a, a low-income, uh, low blue-collar immigrant community. And um, uh, what I dreamt of as a child was to make an impact on the world. And, um, uh, uh, and eventually how that came to fruition was, as a, was by becoming a doctor. Wonderful. You say you you were talking about, um, you know, New Jersey in the 80s. I mean, I thought you were going to tell me you wanted to join Tony Soprano's crew. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I'll bring up the mafia in a bit um, uh, when it comes oh, to oh, really? parents finding out about what I do. But so the mafia does come up. It always comes up when you're from Jersey. Wow, that's great. <laughs> it's wonderful because you don't know who you're talking to here. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I don't know if you're aware of the fact that I'm an actor and I play a lot of mob guys in the movies. Okay. All right. All right. So there yeah. we go. So I'm going to love to hear your mafia story. So, uh, so who influenced you the most when you were a child? Um, you know, I say my greatest role model uh, is my father. Um, he was, and he still is, uh, basically his story is, is that, you know, he came to America, not speaking a lick of English and he, you know, started off as a cashier at Dwayne Reed, which, uh, on the East coast is a, is a drugstore mm -hmm. and worked his way up to now owning, um, uh, newsstands, uh, in and around New York city. Um, so, you know, he, he's at the point in his life where 
he's working because he wants to work, not because he has to work. And I really admire that about him. Um, and it took a lot of hustle to get there. You know, as a little kid growing up, I know that he left the home. He was up at like four or five in the morning. He left the home by like, you know, six the latest and sometimes didn't come home till 11 o'clock at night. So there was a lot of hustle that went into it. But, um, you know, he did it without any complaint. Um, you know, it, it was it was something that, you know, he he knew he believes in putting little efforts on a daily basis to see to see results at the end, you know, at the end of a, uh, a long period of time. So um, so that's that's who I admire the most. You know, it's interesting that as you speak, you're describing the mindset of an entrepreneur. And I know it requires discipline to do what you did, but you went into medicine. You didn't really go into entrepreneurship. Now, do you hear that wonderful um, other other (laughs) character, that other character who is so interested in you? That what I'm going to have to do is pause this, not not to worry, because I can edit, and I'm going to have to take her and put her outside because she will not shut up. All right. <laughs> Hold on a second. I actually can't pick her up yet because she was coming to do her business. Oh, okay. I have a cat too that's right now pawing and meowing outside my door, but you can't you can't hear him. No. What's um, your what's your cat's name? Riley. Riley. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. My my cat's name is Pushkin. Pushkin. Okay. Yeah. This is so we have a my roommate and I have a rag doll. Um and and he's like a puppy cat. So he's great to have around, but he always needs to be around you, you know, sitting at your um at your side. Uh I think she's going to have to get a podcast of her own cuz she's been in so many of mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, like a cat podcast, yeah. Yeah, well, I tell you, it'll probably be more popular than any human podcast. Yeah, probably. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about the fact that, you know, your dad sounded very entrepreneurial. that's, That's fantastic. Now, what specifically attracted you to the medical profession? I know you mentioned that you made a decision that it was going to be your way of making a difference. Yeah. When did When did that occur to you? Well, Lois, I'm the firstborn child in an Indian family, so <laughs> I think it's kind of a given. But uh, <laughs> but, but but truth be told, um, it, it, I, I always had strengths in maths and sciences um, uh, academically, right? And so, and I had this desire to, to to really create an impact in the world. And the the, the desire really stemmed from the fact that you know here I was, I grew up in an in an uh, uh, underprivileged city. But then here's the interesting thing that happened. Um, my my parents worked hard enough to move to the suburbs. Now, not just any suburb, but they specifically made a choice to move to the suburb with the best high school in all of New Jersey at the time. Okay, and that was Chatham, New Jersey. So, and this was, you know, an affluent neighborhood. It wasn't easy to to purchase a home in this neighborhood, um, but they happened to find a home. Now, it wasn't in the nicest of areas. We had the NJ Transit, which is the the commuter train running through our backyard, and we had, like, electrical high wires on both sides of our house. But it, it got us in the right zip code. Uh, my brother and I to to get access to one of the best education systems in all of New Jersey, probably all of the country even, and and so I considered myself privileged because of that. That here I was, I had to do nothing to get access to this education. It was really through my parents' hard work. But then I, for me, it was like, okay, well, how do I take this privilege and give back? How do I give back to the community from which I came? And that, in combination with having strengths in maths and sciences, I decided, okay, you know, the best combination is to become a physician. Wow, that's that's fabulous. Wonderful story. So now, how did you become a medical? Now, let's put it this first. How did you choose your specialization? Because you, you went into emergency, emergency medicine. Yeah. yeah. How did you choose that? So- Again, it goes back to, so emergency medicine is one of those fields. We have laws in place in the United States where you are, as an emergency medicine physician, obligated to treat a patient regardless of their ability to pay. That is not the case in a lot of other fields of medicine, okay? 
Um, uh, uh, sometimes you have to have certain insurances, otherwise the doctor won't accept you. You have to have a certain ability to pay out of pocket, otherwise the doctor won't accept you. That is not the case with emergency medicine. So that is fundamentally what drew me to that field. And think about it. Who comes to the emergency room? It's the people who are who are in, in the most dire of circumstances. Plus, you can take those skills and then apply them to even developing countries, um, such as India, such as Africa, which, which is where I had already been previously, both um, while I was in training and also as a medical student as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the, the desire that went into choosing that field. It's wonderful. How how long did you practice as um, a specialist in emergency medicine? So I just trained in the field. I didn't I didn't actually practice in the field. Now here's the reason why. While I was going through training, here's what was going on. The very prescriptions that I was I was handing out to patients, those patients were then coming back experiencing side effects from these medications. They were then experiencing um, addiction from these medications, right? They would come into the emergency room looking for their fix. You know, a lot of times these patients are labeled as drug seekers in the emergency room. And then the worst case scenario was that I would see, I was in a position of resuscitating patients who had overdosed on these medications. So big picture, it was like, all right, I'm not even solving a problem here. In fact, what I'm doing is I'm creating a problem. And, and you know, at some level deep down ethically, it's like I don't really want to have part in this because I'm not doing what I set out to do. So that's what was going on while I was in training. But at the same time, you know, I was really sleep deprived in residency because there were times when I was working 80 to 100 hours. And if you work so much and you're getting such little sleep, you kind of get to the point where you're so wired, it's hard to actually fall asleep. And so, so you know, a, a lot of times, I, you know, uh, uh, there, were, there were times when um, I didn't have enough energy to actually get work done. So I just start surfing the Internet. And I happened to be on Craigslist. And um I happened to see an ad on Craigslist that had said medical marijuana doctor needed. And that caught my attention. And I started looking into the field. But not only that, more importantly, I started diving into the research behind medical marijuana. And I spent about a year doing this, just looking, reading through all the research studies that were out there. And what I found most compelling was medical marijuana's ability to treat chronic pain. Um, I, I, through the research, I was compelled that, okay, this is a much better option than what, what standard conventional medicine has to offer. Wow. That is quite, quite an interesting story. You know, I too, I mean, I did lots of research, but not in the medical aspect of it. I just um, delved into experiencing marijuana as much as I could <laughs> when I was in university. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now, so then so you did this research, then how did you, you probably, it was way beyond the point where you could have qualified for that Craigslist position, right? Yeah. So actually, it, it, the what happened was that at that point, about a year later, I was like, all right, you know, I have knowledge, but you can't just have the knowledge as a physician. You really need the clinical experience. You got to see how the medicine actually plays out clinically because the research can say one thing, but what you actually see play out can be completely uh, different. So I was like, okay, you know, I, I want to gain clinical experience in this area. So I signed up to work at a medical marijuana clinic out in Sacramento. And I did that for a period of a year and a half. I both worked in Sacramento, and then I also then moved out to the Bay Area, and I did that for uh, a span of less than six months or so. So about a good year and a half, I I worked at um, at various medical marijuana clinics. I wanted to learn the ropes as well as to how the field worked. Um, now, what happened was that I was really taken aback by the results. I went in with certain expectations. One of the articles that I, the research studies that I read indicated that patients who took both um, opioids, which are what are what's commonly prescribed for pain management, right? So examples would be medications like Lortab, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin. 
when patients took those medications along with medical marijuana, what the research study found was that these patients were able to reduce the doses of their pain medications. Now, what I found was patients were actually, it was even a step further. They were able to come off of these pain medications and just use medical marijuana to help manage their pain. So that was definitely impressive for me clinically to be able to see that. Um, uh, and that further strengthened my, um, uh, you know, my, my conviction that, okay, this has a lot of potential to treat chronic pain. Hmm. Now, did you meet with any resistance from anybody when you chose this area of medicine? Oh, yeah. So I, I come from a very traditional Indian family. So I actually did not tell my parents what I was doing out in California. Um, I mean, they knew that I was doctoring and that's what I was doing, but they didn't know specifically what. And really, you know, my thought process was, was like, okay, I'm not committed to this yet. I want to see how it plays out. And then once I, I'm, I'm actually committed to it, I'll let my, you know, parents know. Um, but in fact, what happened was that about a month into working at the medical marijuana clinic, one of my, I have a big Indian family. And so one of my cousins, they sort of had a spur of the moment um, uh, engagement party and the entire family was going to go. And some of my cousins knew what I was up to. And so what I didn't want to happen is for my parents to find out from somebody else because that would be an ultimate form of disrespect. So I wrote an email to my brother <laughs> because I, I used my brother as a, as a buffer and I, and he was very sort of resistant to, to help me out in this situation, but I had to convince him. Um, and he gave the email to my parents and they, and they flipped out. They completely and totally flipped out. Um, they were calling me and I was actually, I had like a knot in my stomach every time they would call. Um, because, you know, I'd been this kid that kind of, I, you know, I was a nerdy Indian girl my whole life. I, I still am. And so <laughs> I kind of did what was, you know, expected of me. They never really had to, you know, there was no sort of, uh, uh, I, I, you know, what parents expected of, of you as a kid, I was doing, you know, so, so there wasn't much trouble there. So, you know, after a couple phone calls, I finally picked up the phone. Um, I, I got on the phone with my father and his first question to me was, are you working for the mafia? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, my innocent father, his first encounter with, with America's New Jersey and the mafia is a very real thing. And so that was his question. And I was like, Dad, I don't even know anybody in the mafia. You know, I know I grew up, we, you know, I grew up in Jersey, but I don't know anybody in the mafia. And so I explained everything to him. We had about a two to two and a half hour conversation. <laughs> and eventually, he, you know, he was convinced that, okay, you know, I feel like she, 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 it's a risk what she's doing, but I feel like she's put a lot of thought into this risk. Now, the other thing is, is that my dad has psoriasis. So he's looked into alternative therapies and, and he's always reading, always reading one thing or another. Um, about one topic or another. And so he even told me in that conversation that, you know, I've actually encountered um, some some articles that I read about uh, medical marijuana for psoriasis. So, you know, he, he kind of got it. Um, you know, my mother, on the other hand, she, of the two parents, um, she's the more traditional of the two. So, I mean, I, uh, a couple years later, when we got to talking, she was telling me there were, you know, she said, I need sleep for like three weeks when, when you told me that. <laughs> uh, and, and it took a couple of years for her to even, I, you know, I barely hear the, her say the word marijuana. Um, so, <laughs> so it's just something that's not out in the open, but you know, the rest of my family, my extended family um, has been incredibly supportive. Little by little, you know, more and more aunts and uncles started to find out. And, um, and I, I gained support over the years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the story in terms of the resistance I encountered. No, did, did you, uh, <laughs> did you, did, did you, did they give you any nicknames? <laughs> no, well, sometimes jokingly, they'll like call me the pot doctor. Or right. Like, I just you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, 
but no, you know, I, I think they're, they're gaining respect for what I'm doing um, because of the way that I'm doing it. Um, some of them, you know, my grandfather actually watches my YouTube videos. I think he's the only one. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they, they all, um, every once in a while, kind of peek into my YouTube channel and, and see what I'm doing. So uh, I think I've gained support over the years. And I've been doing this now for a half a decade. Wow. Wow. So your grandfather watches your YouTube. Is he stoned when he watches? No, no. <laughs> he takes opioids, so I think he might be, you know, high on the opioids, but <laughs> not on marijuana. Oh, my God. Now, what were the biggest obstacles to your success as a medical practitioner? You know, it's what I do. It's earning respect as a medical marijuana doctor. So, so let me tell you a story. When I first started my own practice, now what I found when I was working at these medical marijuana clinics is that a lot of them were just mills where they were, the doctors were just handing out cards like candy. And I didn't want to do that. I found a need where patients were really looking for information in, in terms of how to specifically use the medical marijuana so that they're not getting side effects from it, so that they're not getting addicted to it. And I really wanted to start spending time with patients. So a year and a half, I earned enough capital to start my own practice. And I was very lean, but I still started my own practice. And um, initially, when you establish a practice, the way you typically establish it is that you go around to other doctor's offices that are in complementary fields of medicine um, so that you cross-refer. Because if, you know, someone comes to me and says, um, uh, hey, you know, I... Uh, I think I have cancer. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to diagnose it because I'm not a cancer doctor. I'm not specialized in that field. I will then refer them to a cancer doctor. So that's typically how it works, you know, and vice versa. If they get a patient who's who wants to use medical marijuana, they would then refer to me. Now, here's what I encountered. I, you know, would go knocking on these doctors' doors and I could not get past the office manager. You know, I basically got the door slammed in my face. This was back in 2014. Mm. And now I'm at the point years later where I'm not getting referrals from doctors from like Stanford University. So, so that was a big, big, um, uh, for me professionally, uh, a point of resistance because uh, having your colleagues respect your opinion is huge, right? Otherwise, uh, it's almost like, you know, what's the point of being in medicine if your colleagues don't respect your opinion? You know, now the more you speak and the more you reveal your story, I go back to what I was saying at the beginning, and now I understand it better, that yeah. it, you really are, there is that entrepreneurial streak in you. I mean, you you, you are a doctor, but you blaze the, a path that is not that common. Uh, I mean, there are, of course, there are doctors who do this, but... It's not the average doctor who chooses to do it. And you win against the status quo. And that's part of the entrepreneurial personality as well, which is quite interesting. And now tell us, what conditions do you commonly treat, the most commonly treat? Yeah, so the most common conditions I treat are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. And chronic pain is a pretty broad category. So more specifically, what I end up treating are migraines, arthritic pain, back pain, um, uh, abdominal pain from Crohn's disease, just to name a few conditions. But there's a wide variety of, of conditions of pain that I end up treating. Now, how does medical marijuana <clears throat> relieve pain? How, what is... What's the, uh, explain that to me. It should be fascinating. Yeah. So a couple different ways that it works. <clears throat> One is that it, it modulates the pain pathways. Now, what the heck does that mean? So basically, if you think about it, think of little army men, little tiny little army men on, on your hands, on your feet, that send signals to the brain when you're experiencing pain, okay? Then the brain... Uh, processes these signals and then sends out commands to other, you know, army men in the body to direct it what to do. So let me give you an example. Say your hand is next to something really hot. Okay, so you have army men telling, telling the brain, hey, the hand is next to something really hot. So then the brain decides, okay, we need to move the hand away from that source of heat. So then it sends commands to, uh, you know, army men located in the muscles of, of that part of the body to be like, okay, move the hand away from that part 
of, of the, the source of heat. So what research has found is that in, uh, in animal models is that whenever they, the animals experience pain, they create more receptors for, for chemicals in marijuana. And I realize that we have the same chemicals that are produced by the plant, we produce them naturally in our own body, which is why we have these receptors. And so the body produces more of these receptors, and something's going on where these, the interaction between the chemicals in marijuana and these receptors is helping to dampen that signal that goes to the brain. Mm. So, so that's one aspect of it. Now, the second aspect of it is that it alters the emotional processing of pain. Okay, so there's two components to pain. There's a physical component and there's an emotional component. So the physical component is, well, it is basically this part of the body hurts. The emotional component is this doesn't feel good. Um, it feels really, really bad. Okay, so what marijuana does is that it dampens the communication between the physical aspect of pain and the emotional processing of pain. So a lot of times my patients will tell me, you know, Dr. Patel, I feel like I feel the pain, but it doesn't bother me as much. So there's some sort of um, dampening of signals going on there. And then the third way is that it reduces inflammation at the level of impacting the immune system. Okay, so it does it in three different ways. One is that it specifically um, causes the death of cells that are causing an, uh, an inflammatory response. Okay, that's number one. Number two is that it suppresses the production of cytokines. Okay, so what are cytokines? They're basically chemicals that are produced by these immune cells that start and stop inflammation, okay? So if you suppress the production of these cytokines, you basically aren't starting inflammation. And then the third way is that it activates T regulatory cells. These are cells that we have in our body to help prevent an autoimmune attack, right? And typically you get a lot of inflammation when you have an autoimmune attack. So marijuana is activating these T regulatory cells. So it works out in many different ways. Um, one is, you know, uh, uh, processing of pain, and second is reducing inflammation in terms of actually reducing pain. Now, again, we know this at the, at the level in animal models, right, and in cells, but what we need to know further is, how to, you know, what's going on in humans. And really the main roadblock is regulation, government regulation. It's classified currently as a class one substance. So <clears throat> as, a what, as a what substance? As a class one substance, okay. right? So class one substance is basically a drug that is defined by the government, by basically the, um, the Controlled Substances Act, which was passed back in Nixon's day, as a, a drug that has no medical value and is highly addictive, right? So the research is very restricted on it, especially in humans. Um, so that's really where we need more information is in humans. Wow. Now, how do you administer it? Like, how do people take it? Do they, uh, for medical reasons, do they smoke it? You don't, I actually discourage my patients from smoking it. Um, there are many other alternatives. Let me walk you through them. So one is you can use topicals, right? So it comes, marijuana comes in the form of an ointment that you apply to the affected area. And these ointments typically work well for bone-related pain, for muscle-related pain, and it even works well for skin conditions, for example, such as psoriasis. This, the second way to use it is to eat it, right? You've heard of the, the, the typical pot brownie, right? But now the industry's heard, evolved. Where heard, heard, of, heard of them. I used to bake them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so now, you know, you, when you go to marijuana dispensaries, you can find a wide variety of, of edibles that, um, that are infused with marijuana that you can consume. Mm. Then there are what are called tinctures and tinctures are basically, um, drops that you can put under the tongue. Um, so that's a third way. And then you can inhale it by not smoking it, but by what's called vaporizing it. And essentially, a vaporizer is a special device that you use, and it heats the plant rather than burning it. So what you're avoiding is a creation of pollution that, that you'd be breathing in. Mm. Then there's also, believe it or not, rectal and vaginal formulations of medical marijuana as well. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, 
so wide variety of options. You know, the, the best option is really going to depend on the type of medical condition that you have. Is it the THC that's the active ingredient that, that you know, does all the work? It's one of the active ingredients. Um, the other main active ingredient in marijuana is called CBD, uh, otherwise known as cannabidiol. And these are the two chemicals <clears throat> that marijuana makes in the highest concentrations. So as far as we know, and based on the research that, that I've read, this is really what's interacting with our bodies and creating the medical benefits. So there's a, there's a wide, you know, there are about 60 to 100 different chemicals that the plant makes. What these chemicals do and in what amounts are made, we're, we don't, we're not sure yet and there hasn't been enough, there's not enough information out there on. So there's still a lot left to be researched. But as far as I know, and in terms of research that I've done, THC and CBD are the two more important chemicals that are made by the plant. Mm-hmm. Now, what specific results <laughs> have you seen with your patients? Um, so a wide variety of results. So I mentioned one which is where patients are able to either reduce the dosages of their prescription medications or they're able to come off of them completely. Um, the other is, is that um, it, uh, uh, you know, in terms of pain reduction, um, it reduces the pain from, from severe levels to mild levels, right? So if we're looking at this in terms of numbers, you always have your doctors that, you know, that are asking you, well, what's your level of pain on a scale of one to 10? You know, a lot of times my patients that come in telling me, hey, my you know, pain is, is between a seven and nine, they'll come back to me, you know, a year later after regularly using marijuana telling me, you know, it's more manageable. It's down to like a one to three. Um, and overall, what this does is that it impacts the quality of their life, right? So even little things like, with someone with arthritis, being able to button their shirt or unscrew a jar or even being able to pick up their grandchildren can have a, a, a sort of leaps and bounds of impact on everyday life. Yeah, I imagine it would. I just thought of something, though. Do you ever see people who, uh, you know, love the benefits they're getting mm -hmm. and, and decide, you know, um, I'm just going to take up smoking a lot of pot anyway? Because if it's this good for me, uh, why shouldn't I just enjoy getting high? Um, so the patient population that I get is the population that, that actually isn't looking to get high. They're, they're just simply looking for the medical benefits. They're not looking for it to affect their ability to function on an everyday basis. So, so that's really one of their main drivers in coming to me is that, you know, teach me how to use this so that it's almost like taking ibuprofen, you know, where it's helping the pain, but I can still function like a normal person. I, you know, I don't want it to impact my performance at work. I don't want it to impact my relationships. Um, I just want it to impact my pain, my anxiety, my insomnia. Um, so, so that's really the patient population that I'm seeing. You know, as a physician, I don't really advocate for getting high <laughs> off of marijuana. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's who I'm seeing. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. You don't want to overdo marijuana because here's what happens. You develop a tolerance to it. Uh, it gets to the point where you need more and more and more, and then it's not effective for you. So that's the other thing that I'm advising my patients on is how to use it so that you don't develop a tolerance and it continues to work uh, uh, for you medically. Well, in my non-medical experimentation, yep. I, I can attest to what you just said because uh, in my wild youth, I used a lot of it. And okay. I, di I did get to a point where I noticed that it stopped bringing me pleasure. Mm -hmm. I, as a matter of fact, it, instead of relaxing me, it made me tense and it made me paranoid. And interestingly enough, it was that reaction that made me decide I'm done and I stopped using it and I haven't had it in years. That's but the, yeah, I did it did definitely change for me. <clears throat> yeah. So here's what's going on scientifically and why that's happening. You have this process called receptor down regulation going on. Okay. So you have a cell. It makes a certain number of receptors for marijuana. If you overexpose a cell to marijuana, it'll make fewer and fewer of those receptors. So, so you're not actually, um, the cell's not reacting as well to the, to the chemicals that you're exposing it to. 
and really what you're what you're then going to experience are side effects rather than the the medical benefits wow i needed you to come along after all these years and explain what was happening to me this is <laughs> this is great now can you use medical marijuana without getting any effect of a high totally and hmm. it all comes down to dosing okay so general general principle that really applies to all medications every medication has a dosing range right so you've got a subtherapeutic range and this is basically a, a word used to describe the state where the dose is too low it's not having any effect on you no medical benefit then there's a toxic dosing range where the dose is too high you're experiencing side effects really where every patient wants to fall with any medication really is is a therapeutic window okay that's your sweet spot where you're getting the medical benefits but you're not getting the side effects okay and that's the same case with medical marijuana you if you fall within that therapeutic range you're getting the medical benefits without experiencing any of the side effects including the high mm. now you already covered many of the different ways to use it in your experience is there a preferred way to use it you know, it really comes down to the medical condition. Um, uh, so, you know, someone with like, let me give you an example. Someone with nerve-related pain will not benefit from topical marijuana, right? But someone with psoriasis will benefit from using marijuana topically. So it really just comes down to, to the medical condition. And do you believe that marijuana is addictive? It has the potential for addiction, right? So let's put that into context. Now, the potential for addiction is about 9% in heavy users. So it, it, so let's, let's take alcohol as an example. Now, say you have someone that drinks a glass of wine on an everyday basis, and then you have another person that drinks a case of beer on an everyday basis. Who's more likely to get addicted to the alcohol, right? In all likelihood, it's the person who's drinking the case of beer on a nightly basis. Um, so, and, and alcohol has a potential for addiction as well. So out of all the substances, marijuana has the lowest potential for addiction. It still does have a potential, but it all comes down to how you use it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Reefer Madness? No, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I need to, to, to get to doing that. And you know, I, I'm so busy working that I don't, really uh make time for television or movies but um i will put that on my list as yeah, part of <laughs> yeah no, i don't think you're going to see it on television uh but if you know i'm sure you'll find it somewhere and it's worth seeing because it was made with a serious intent yeah. of scaring people away from marijuana but because we've evolved so much it's turned into a one of the campiest most hilarious movies because it's all it's hysterical i mean it's ex okay. so so exaggerated about the horrors that will happen to you if you you know start smoking i mean you're, you're finished you're doomed and it's it's really really funny i think you'll get um you'll be very entertained by it to say the least it came out when in like the 1960s sometime oh like, no yeah it the 1930s yeah, probably before, right? Because in the 60s, already, I mean, people were hip, right? They were using it and going, hey, this is pretty cool. Now, the establishment was still against it, but mm -hmm. there wasn't that kind of, yeah, I think it was made way before the 60s, but it is, I'm going to look it up. I'm not actually sure. I, I actually just did. I just Googled it and it said 1936. Wow. Wow. Which is interesting because it was in 1937, and I think the government actually funded um, this movie, as far as I know, because it was in 1937 that the U.S. government implemented what's called the Marijuana Tax Stamp mm. Act, uh, where you had to pay, if you wanted to use marijuana in any way whatsoever, you had to pay um, a tax to the government, and the tax was exorbitant for that time. So essentially, it deemed marijuana illegal back in 1937. So kind of mm. like it makes sense that this movie came out at that time. Mm. Now, why has marijuana, in your opinion, gotten such a bad rap for so long? So I think it's more politically and economically driven um, rather than health driven. Because up until 1937, marijuana was available over the counter at, at drugstores. Really? Uh, yeah, 
and a lot of uh, patients were using it. Um, you could just buy it, like you can buy Advil or Tylenol today. And pa people were using it to help them with pain, to help them with sleep, um, for a wide variety of conditions. And believe it or not, back in 1937, when this uh, uh, this tax was implemented, the American Medical Association was vehemently against it because they saw the medical benefits of it. Wow. So, yeah, isn't that interesting? I looked into the whole historical context. Now, what was going on were a couple different things. Um, one was um, you, you had Harry Anslinger, who, politician um, uh, known to be a racist, but you had the Great Depression going on, right, during during the 1930s. You had Mexicans coming in, a big migration of Mexicans into America. They were working in the fields. So they had jobs, but then here you had Americans without jobs. So there was sort of resentment going on there. Um, and so Harry Anslinger sort of put, uh, you know, sort of fueled the fire even more um, by uh, sort of insinuating that, you know, Mexicans smoke uh, marijuana recreationally. It was part of the culture. <clears throat> and I think that's where the whole whole concept of loco weed ca came about. Oh. Um, yeah, and so so th that was one thing. Now the other thing is, have you heard of William Hurst? He sort of owned the whole journalism uh, uh, paper production uh, empire back in yeah. the day. Yeah, I went to the, yeah. the, the, the yeah, have you ever been to Hearst the Hearst Castle? Yeah, the Hearst Castle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, uh, uh, so hemp was a big threat to him. Um, uh, you know, to his paper production industry. So there was some, you know, some uh, some corporate influence there as well. And then there was something else about the DuPont family, which I forget. But there was a lot going on politically and economically to influence um, uh, this tax uh, uh, act being implemented. But if you fast forward to the Nixon era, um, that's when the Controlled Substances Act was implemented. And um, that's when they actually categorized marijuana as, like I mentioned, a class one substance. And then fast forward to the Reagan era, that's when we had the war on drugs. And that's when the whole um, sort of idea that marijuana is a gateway drug came about. So um, that's sort of the historical context of marijuana in America. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, that's. That you know, I think it's it's more politically and economically driven rather than uh, fact driven in terms of the actual impact on a person's health. This is fascinating. You know, uh, thank you so much for bringing this to uh, my attention, to uh, our storyteller's attention. I mean, of course, the topic of my entire podcast is change your story, change your life, and and to me, this is a powerful, dramatic example of the stories that have been created around uh, social issues, around, in this case, a substance vis-a-vis -vis politics and, and social issues, stories that many of them are just false. And that, that this is wonderful, wonderful. It's, it's kind of an expose. It's, it's um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, not so, a problem. So, who should not use medical marijuana? Yeah, so there are definitely certain groups of people that are are put more at risk by using medical marijuana. Let me walk you through those groups. So <clears throat> one is anybody with a heart condition. Um, basically, excess use of certain types of marijuana will increase a person's heart rate, right? And so if you have an underlying heart condition, marijuana can exacerbate this by increasing your heart rate. Um, second is anybody who has any sort of lung condition. Obviously, you know, they should not be inhaling marijuana because it can, it can make their lung conditions worse. For an example would be asthma. Third group of, of, of people are anybody who's ever experienced visual or auditory hallucinations, right? Anybody who's ever had a psychotic episode. Because again, excess amounts of marijuana can lead to visual and auditory hallucinations. Then there are women that are either pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to become pregnant. I usually err on the side of caution with, with this population and just don't recommend in general because the jury's out in terms of the effect that marijuana can have on a growing fetus and on a growing baby. Mm. Okay. And then the third population where you want to use marijuana with caution um, are children. And this is because 
uh, they found in Colorado in cases where there have been accidental overdoses. So these kids, you know, they a lot of these these marijuana products they look like candy to to children, and so they'll eat it and it'll be an accidental overdose and they'll they'll be brought into the emergency room in a comatose state. Mm. So these are really the five groups that I found over time where marijuana needs to be used with with great great caution. Mm. Are there varying grades of medical marijuana? Yeah, so there's varying potencies of of medical marijuana. Like with the two chemicals that I mentioned, THC and CBD, what you'll find, and and this is more, you'll find this more so in cases where marijuana has been legalized for recreational use, because in these states, the states mandate that whatever product is sold is actually tested at a laboratory. And one of the things that they test for are the amounts of the THC and the CBD. And there's a wide variety of potencies of these chemicals in different products. Um, a lot of it depends on what the actual plant makes, but then also a lot of it depends on the production process where these chemicals get concentrated as well. So the potency varies highly from product to product. Hmm. Do some cancers respond better than others to to treatment well actually before i ask you that what are the benefits of medical marijuana to cancer patients yeah so this is something important i want to address i feel like there's been a lot of fallacies especially on the internet that have been spreading where there's claims being made that marijuana cures cancer okay i don't make that claim um, a couple reasons. Uh, one is based on what I find in the research. The research that's been done on cancer has only been done in like mice, rats, and in cell cultures, so in petri dishes and in test tubes. There's there's little to no research in humans for us to draw any conclu- conclusions about marijuana and cancer. Now, the research that's been done in in the animal models and in the petri dishes does show that marijuana has anti-cancer properties, but um, I want to make that claim. Now, also, clinically, what have I seen in the patients that I've treated with cancer? You know, a lot of times patients will come to me um, uh, saying that they, you know, uh, uh, sort of a last resort, they've gone through chemotherapy, uh, and as a last resort, they're telling me, okay, I want to use medical marijuana to, to cure my cancer. You know, I definitely tell them it's not going to cure your cancer because I haven't seen it cure any of my patients' cancers. So, um so, so that's the, really the statement that I make, that, that at, as it stands at this point in time, marijuana doesn't cure cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and again, so some cancers respond better than others to treatment in, uh, in animals? Um, you know, in animals, um, they've, they've done research on a wide variety of cancers. Um, it's hard to tell if, if one responds better to another because even in animal models, there's not enough data to say, okay, well, we found overall that it works better in this type of cancer versus another. Now, this is not cancer. It's a totally different condition. But I've had friends who suffered from glaucoma, and they said that the marijuana really helped them with that. Um, you know, sort of the same thing. So here's what I found with glaucoma. Uh, what you measure in glaucoma is what's called an intraocular pressure, the pressure within the eye. And if you look at this pressure, you know, I'm always asking my patients um, uh, when they come in, uh, before they start using marijuana regularly and after they start using marijuana regularly, you know, we taught, would we discuss our intraocular pressures. And it seems like there's, there's no change. It doesn't make it better, but it doesn't make it worse either. Um, it's the same case with blood pressure. Marijuana doesn't make it make it better, but it doesn't make it worse either. So, so here's the thing. I feel like um, marijuana is being touted as a miracle drug. Um, n- nothing really is a, a miracle cure, right? Realistically speaking, uh, what marijuana does is that for certain conditions, it's a much better option than standard conventional treatments because it has it's not lethal. It doesn't cause as many side effects, and it has a lower potential for addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, it does a better job of treating these conditions than, than the pharmaceutical drugs do, right? And it's mainly in those three conditions that I told you, chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. 
Um, and then there's other conditions that it just doesn't touch. It doesn't treat. So, um, uh, so, so that's something I always like to, I like to be realistic as a physician. Now I, ha, you know, I, I, I say things that not everybody wants to hear, but that's, you know, I, I, I think it's important to do my job with integrity. So, so that's really the realistic perspective of it. Fabulous. What excites you most about the future of medicine? You know, I feel like marijuana has the potential to change the face of medicine, especially when it comes to those three conditions that I told you. And who in America and even the world doesn't struggle with chronic pain, anxiety, or insomnia? Um, it, the, the medications that are currently prescribed for these conditions are some of the most commonly prescribed pharmaceutical drugs out there. So, so it does have the potential to change the face of medicine, especially, you know, if you think about it in developing countries where, um, you know, like in Africa and India, people can grow this plant in their backyard mm. and, and them more than, than, you know, in any other, other places where we're developed, they're in touch with agriculture more, more than we are. And so when it comes to growing a plant, you know, they're, they, they know the nuances of growing plants. So if they can grow a medicine like this in their backyard, as opposed to traveling miles and miles, if you're in a rural village to go to the nearest hospital or the nearest pharmacy to get access to these medications, that, that can change, uh, you know, um, a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have an opinion about the role of technology in medicine, like 3D printing, for example? You know, I use technology. Um, I have used technology to keep my practice really, really lean. And I'll tell you in a couple ways. One is that I use a, a scheduler. So um, it's almost like having, it's online. People can schedule their own appointments. People can cancel their own appointments. People can reschedule their own appointments. <clears throat> they can check for availabilities and whatnot. So it's almost like having a second receptionist in, in my practice. Now, the other way that I, that I leverage technology is YouTube. Okay, so, so here's what happened. I was finding that my receptionist was getting a lot of questions, right? Questions that only I could answer. So what I would do is at the end of the day, <clears throat> anybody who was looking to see me, um, before they came in, they had a, you know, a couple, couple questions that they wanted to answer. Mainly, you know, will it work for me? I have these concerns. What do I do about them? And I was spending quite a bit of time doing this. So I, I figured, okay, how can I, be more efficient about this because a lot of people are asking the same questions over and over again. So that's when I decided to use YouTube. I I wanted to give that person the experience of interacting with me as much as possible, um, but still being able to address you know their their question or their concern. And I put up these videos and and then I you know sort of didn't really I wasn't monitoring my YouTube channel they were just there for my my receptionist to refer to to the people that called in and then about a year later um, I was asked to be on an interview and the person was sort of researching me and they said Dr. Patel do you know that one of your videos has 8,000 views and I was like no um, and that's when you know in that moment I realized wow I I can have an impact on the world I can leave this earth having made an impact on not just, you know, the local population that I'm serving, but the world by using technology. So, and actually, in fact, what I'm doing now is I'm scaling my, my, what I'm doing, uh, to reach even more people by creating protocols by medical condition so that those that can't see me, you know, in person directly, they'll have access to the protocols that I've created. So, um, and I'm using technology to to interact, to do consultations with people all over the world. Because um, at one point, what I found was that I was getting phone calls from people all over the country, all over the world, for the information that I had. So I'm using, I'm sort of, a, I'm taking a very millennial approach to what I'm doing and taking technology to have even a greater impact with the work that I do. I love it. That's that's quite wonderful. And what about the technologies that are directly related <clears throat> to medicine, like 3D printing right now, where an individual who's lost a limb yeah. could have the other limb scanned, and with mm -hmm. a 3D printer, they create a prosthetic that is custom designed for that person's body? You know, I, I, I don't have enough information on, on that specific area. 
So I wouldn't be speaking from a place of knowledge um, just because I haven't, I haven't looked into that area at all. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back to that toward the end of this interview, because it's a very interesting thing. I think for you, particularly given your passion to really make a huge impact in the world, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I sort of take life day by day because you never know what the future holds for you. So I don't really, I mean, I hope, like I said, you know, I have big, big goals, big dreams where I hope to, to leave this earth having made a huge impact. But, um, I don't know. We'll see what life holds for me in another five years. Do you have a favorite book? Favorite book? Um, yeah. You know, it, it was a book that my grandfather introduced me to as a child. It was a giving tree. Um, and it was, it, it just sort of instilled a value in me where, uh, you know, the underlying purpose for all of us, I think, is especially for those uh, that are living very privileged lives. Yeah, I think Americans live very privileged lives. Is is to give, you know, to to give back to to those that who don't have. What is the name of the book again? It's a children's book. Um, it's the Giving Tree. The Giving Tree. The Giving. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of Shel Silverstein? Uh, say the name again. Shel Silverstein. He's a he's a children's author. Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree. Love that title. What about a favorite quote? So I think I made up this quote, and it comes from being a Jersey girl. But basically, <laughs> don't buy the bullshit that people try to feed you. I love it. You know? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't buy the bullshit that people try to feed you. Well, maybe say don't eat the bullshit that people try to feed <laughs> that people try to feed yeah. you. Whichever way you like to put it, yeah. I, I see a, a television series for you. Which one yeah. is that? The real doctors of New Jersey. Something yeah. it's not really that's not really sexy enough like the real housewives <laughs> in New Jersey, but we have to think of maybe the real pot doctors of New Jersey. I don't know if there's many in New Jersey. I think they're all kind of out on the West Coast right now. But, <laughs> but you know, here's the thing. I am so grateful to have been born and raised in Jersey because boy, oh boy, do, do people in Jersey keep it real. You know, they, they keep you grounded. There's no sort of floating around in, in air when you're from Jersey. You know, I'm so grateful. I understand you for being, yeah. I'm so grateful for having grown up in the Bronx because yeah. That experience on those streets has enriched my acting career enormously and have, as a result, created a lot of work for me because when I auditioned for a role of an American wise guy, mm -hmm. especially in Canada, I'm way ahead of the game. Yeah. Because I was, you know, I had direct contact with those that world when i was growing up now how can people contact you um sure so one of the main ways to get in touch with me is through my youtube channel that's where i'm most active in terms of answering questions and comments and um and by video so if you if your audience just wants to google youtube the medical marijuana expert or YouTube Dr. Ruchna Patel, I'll show up on the first page of the Google results and they can just click on that and it'll take them to my YouTube channel. Fantastic. YouTube. Any final thoughts for the storytellers? You know, just just be true to your own story. Mm, I love that. Yeah, don't live out anybody else's story. Just, you know, just live your story with lots of integrity. Now... I usually end the podcast on that question, but I've been thinking about this for a while. You, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Genius Network? Um, a little bit. I think I've heard of it. Isn't it a group of entrepreneurs or something like that? There's the name, yes, yes. There's the name Joe Polish. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him. Okay. I hope you have a pen there. I want you to write this down. Sure. I love marketing dot com okay yeah it's a podcast i've heard of it it's a podcast don't let the title fool you it's yeah. one of the most evolved 
podcasts on personal growth imaginable. And quite seriously, I have a feeling that you should be in touch with that community. And I think that they deserve to hear from you. Um, I think they would resonate with you. Uh-huh. Uh, these are people who are all dedicated to making a 10x or a 100x impact on the world in a positive way. And they need more passionate individuals like yourself who are committed to that kind of goal. Now, does the name Peter Diamandis ring a bell? No, that's, I'm not familiar okay. with that name. Please write it down. Okay. D-I-A-D-I-M-A-N-D-I-S. M-A-N-D-I-S. Peter Diamandis. The book that you will absolutely love is Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. Peter and his community are people who are advancing the quality of life for the planet today. They have the power, the money, and the vision to do it. A lot of the work is being done in the field of medicine. He is launching an initiative, and you can go and check it out today in a few days. If you go to ilovemarketing.com forward slash abundance, you'll find out about his new community that he's launching that you could very well become a part of if you resonate with with it. Okay. And um, storytellers, this is for anybody, too, who's interested in growth of any kind. Check that out. I really want to thank you. This has been such a, an uplifting, wonderful pleasure to talk to you. You have this wonderful light in you that comes across in everything that you say. And um, I know you're making a major contribution. And I know that you will continue to make a, a bigger and bigger contribution that's very necessary in the world. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thank you again. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Rachna Patel. I'm willing to guess that everyone, like me, was thoroughly entertained, was challenged, and inspired by our guests' humor, spontaneity, her insights, her knowledge, her clarity. Please let people know that they can enjoy this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. And at that website, you will get access to a free gift from me, a downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Never forget to take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible, to give you any audiobook of your choice absolutely free, and you get to choose for more than 120,000 titles. Plus, for an entire month, you get to test run for free all of Audible's service. Grab your free audiobook right now. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. This week, my offer to the first three people who reach out to me, who step up and say, we listen to this show and we would like to take advantage of a consultation from you, Lewis. I will give you a free 30-minute consultation. During that time, you can ask me anything you want about how to become a more compelling communicator, whether it be for your one-on-one -on -one personal communication, your communication in business, for a communication that you're creating in an email campaign, whatever it is,
I guarantee you that those 30 minutes spent with me will change the way you communicate and give you powerful tools that you'll be able to use immediately to take your communication game to not only a, a higher and more powerful level, but to a more enjoyable level. It's very easy to reach me at lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com and also at lewsclub, L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B, at gmail.com. So regarding what to think about and work on for next week, the theme that we discuss throughout this show is summarized beautifully by the opening quote by Shakespeare, that there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I challenge you during this next week to approach a subject that you may have opinions about, but you've never really explored the subject, especially if those opinions are negative. They're judgments. They are part of a story. Become curious enough to explore and find out more about that subject. Maybe it'll be the first time you've explored it at all. What might happen? Maybe your negative impression will be fortified and supported. Or maybe you'll discover, wow, here is something that's absolutely wonderful that I used to think was terrible. And if that happens, your world will definitely have been enriched. To help you begin that journey, ask yourself, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.